podcast one production. I'm Sammy Lucas and I'm romantically challenged. I seem to go through dating timeouts when I don't go on a date for months, not because I can't meet anyone, but because I just can't be bothered. It's usually when I've reached peak frustration on the dating scene. But I know it's always a phase and I won't really give up dating until I find my Mr. Happily Ever After. But my guest today, Liz, is single and done. She's done with it all, with dating, with relationships, with men. For good. I am so intrigued to know what pushes a 56-year-old woman to the point where she's done with love and chooses to be single for the rest of her life. Here's Liz. My name is Liz and I'm a woman in my 50s. I enjoy walks on the beach, self-care, voguing in my sitting room and hanging out with my two cats. I work in the advertising industry and I'm divorced. My ideal partner would be the strong, silent type. Very silent, but good with his hands. Dating in my 50s for me is something I don't even want to think about. I did quite enough in my teens, my 20s, my 30s and my 40s. Enough already! Vogue, 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 vogue. So, Liz, you're done with dating. Done. Done. Gone to Gowings. <laughs> I love that you still have a sense of humour about this. First of all, voguing. Love it. Fab. Do you actually really vogue in your living room? Hell yeah. Vogue. Vogue. Hell yeah. Vogue. Vogue. Absolutely. Do they, do they, is it our Me movements? and the cats. Yeah, <laughs> no, there's the whole thing that you do from the video clip. Yeah, dancing around your sitting room is one of the benefits of being alone. <laughs> it sure is. I actually dance around with LOL when I've got like video hits or whatever on in the background and a really good song comes on that I love. I actually go and pick up LOL and dance with her and she like struggles to get out of my arms and I'm like, no, you are staying with me and we're dancing to this song. We're having quality time together, <laughs> LOL. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe I just admitted that. Uh, I would like to know what brought you to the point at the age of 56 because your life's well not over that you're done. You're done with dating. Oh, look, I think it's a combination of things, obviously. It's a combination of, of having a number of failed relationships behind me for various reasons. Um, but I think actually I was thinking about it and there was a period in my 40s when I was single and I was single for about four years and I just started a new job with amazing people and I had just gotten back into sailing again and I made a whole bunch of friends and I was having such a wonderful time. But in my heart, there was this ache of loneliness. Do you know what I mean? And I really made myself unhappy during a period that should have been a really happy one, longing for love and yearning and thinking, oh, will I ever meet anyone? And um, so when my last relationship ended three or four years ago now, um, A, I was relieved for many reasons, but B, I thought, goodness, I wouldn't want to go back to being that person who's kind of languishing around the house or, you know, being sad while she's out sailing on Sydney Harbour. Like, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to feel like there's something missing in my life and that I'm not intrinsically enough. So that feeling that you talk about, having everything positive going on in your life and just this one ache of loneliness that is the lack of a relationship, do you think that's something you can control or is that just something that 
you either are the sort of person that aches for a relationship or you don't. Can you stop that ache? Yeah, look, I, th- I really think you can. I mean, and I think it has a lot to do with, you know, all of those fashionable things today, mindfulness, gratitude, counting your blessings. And I spend a lot of time counting my blessings. And, you know, a couple of months ago, I moved house and um, I elected for some mad reason to do quite a lot of it myself. Usually I just pay people and they come and pack me and move me. And, you know, all you've got to do is unpack. But anyway, I was kind of carrying things around and you know, it was really late and I was, you know, feeling a bit overwhelmed and I thought, oh, goodness, you know, I've got no one to help me, poor me. And, of course, I could have gotten someone to help me. I could have easily rung a friend. But also if I'd had some man there helping me, he would have, I said to myself, he would have his opinions, he wouldn't want to do it like that, oh, do it this way, or can we sit down, you know, I'm tired, you know, whinge, whinge, whinge. Better to do it yourself, I said to myself, and it was, and I did it and it was finished. And there we were. No one complained. And I patted myself on the back at the end, had a gin and tonic. Yeah, well done you. Well done Gin me. and tonic, always, <laughs> always the great way to end a day. So have you come to the point where you've decided dating is not for you or relationships are not for you or both? Um, I guess I've never really been much of a dater. Like I've never dated a lot of people at the same time. I mean, I either meet someone and like them and we go to dinner and then we move in together. That seems to be how Get it married. What Get is? married, yep. So I've never really been a date. I've never been on Tinder or any of those. I've never done any of those dating sites or anything like that. It fills me with horror. Um, I'm not close to relationships, but I'm certainly close to a relationship of that involves any kind of mutual dependency. You know, I'm open to a relationship where you could go to dinner or have a coffee or go for a walk, but certainly nothing that involves cohabitation. Any mingling of finances, anything like that. So you're looking for a situationship, which is what I've written about and opened up this whole can of worms with people where you're open to having someone in your life on a romantic level, but not full-time cohabitation and not full-time dependency. No, and certainly not... I mean, this is a very kind of serendipitous thing. This would have to be someone, this is not settling for someone just to have a warm body either. This person, if they did turn up in my life at some point, would have to be amazing. You know, they would have to be intelligent and funny and well off and have a, you know, interesting job and like the books that I read. And, you know, they would have to be amazing. I wouldn't ever settle again because I think we're all guilty of settling in some way. And, and compromising and thinking, oh, you know, relationships are compromise. It would have to be, I would not ever compromise ever again. See, some people would say that your hard work in saying that and that any relationship is going to require some kind of settling or compromise. There is no such thing as the perfect man. And I always say, well, I think it, it really comes down to what you're willing to settle on. There are certain things that you will give and that you will accept that maybe are not ideal. Like I've got a girlfriend who always said I would never be with a smoker, never be with a smoker. She met a guy, he smokes, and she was like, I couldn't believe at the time she overlooked it. They've been married for 10 years with two kids. He still has the odd diary now and then, and it doesn't seem to bother her. So it's kind of like you don't feel that you need to relax a little bit or you're not willing to relax on your non-negotiables? I suppose it depends whether you're compromising or you're compromising yourself. Enough said. Enough said, yeah. I feel like each bad relationship I've had over the last 20 years has left me a little bit broken. And I think 
I wonder if I will reach a point where I'm just too broken to ever have another really beautiful, successful relationship. Do you think there's any validity to that? I hope that's not the case. I mean, I hope that instead of becoming more fragile, you become more tender in your own care of yourself and a little bit more wary and a little less willing to compromise yourself, I suppose, because I think that is what tends to break you as you think, my goodness, look, I did this and I did that and I bent over backwards and, you know, I didn't mind this and, you know, still that relationship failed for whatever reason. And you think, you know, then you start to question, are you good enough? Are you good enough to have a relationship? And I I think you're certainly fabulous and more than good enough to have a relationship. And I think, you know, if you do meet someone amazing, there's nothing like all of those pheromones and hormones and things racing around. I mean, there's nothing as lovely as being in love. And I think that really, you know, that's nature's way of helping you recover. Um, But I think with every poor relationship, I certainly become much more wary. Um, Yeah. And I guess that's what I mean. Like I'm not ever going to let a man or a relationship ruin me, but it is about becoming more wary. And sometimes I think, and becoming maybe cynical. Mm becoming a little bit too cynical. You mentioned love um, briefly. Have you given up on love? Hmm. That's a profound question, isn't What is it? the meaning of life? What That's the, the next question. <laughs> I haven't given up on love because love takes so many forms, you know. Um, I've possibly given up on teenage, I want to hold your hand, romantic love for now, but that might change. But I certainly haven't given up on all the other forms of love that there is. You know, I haven't, every morning when my little pussycats come in and jump (laughs) on my bed, there's a lot of love there. There's a lot of love in my social circle and friends and, you know, I've got a gorgeous godson. And so I just feel that I'm not wanting for love um, because, to be honest, when you're not consumed by a relationship, you've got a lot more energy to cultivate other relationships and do other things. So, you know, you know how your girlfriends, when they meet someone, disappear into that relationship and, you know, lose themselves. And we've all been guilty of that. I've I've moved across the world to marry someone. Yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so do you think this decision you've made, um, that you're not sort of actively looking for a relationship or dating, is it about control then? It, it's about control of emotions, vulnerability? Yes, definitely. Power? And it's just about, um, it's just about being happy in yourself and with yourself and of yourself and not feeling that there is always something missing. So it's very freeing when you, when you free yourself from that kind of addictive nature of I've got to be with someone, I've got to have a partner and I'm inadequate and I'm not enough if I don't. I have gotten over you know, the whole going to parties on my own or going to events on my own. Because, you know, to be honest, as Marilyn said, if I'm going to be alone, I'd rather be by myself. And you can be more lonely in a relationship than on your own. Oh, yes. You can go to an event with someone or be at a party with someone or at a dinner party or anywhere walking along the street with someone and feel 100% alone because you don't feel listened to, you don't feel cared for, you don't feel that that they're interested in you, you know, and and I think that's a much worse feeling than walking into a room without a handbag. You know what I fear about another potential relationship is 
the emotional instability because one thing I notice when I'm single for periods of time, like extended periods of time, it's like it's just this emotional stability in my world that I really enjoy and then I watch other friends in relationships or meeting people or dating and coming out of bad experiences and the trauma and the stress and the anxiety that they put themselves through and I sort of feel like I'm standing on the other side in this sort of calm spot just going, thank fuck I don't have to deal with all that shit at the moment. But it's not enough to want to give up on pursuing relationships. It's one thing that I don't enjoy about relationships and that I fear, but it's not enough to make me want to give up completely. No, and I think that shows a lot of courage and idealism, I'd like to say. I think, you know, if, if you're in a relationship, you're vulnerable to someone and being vulnerable to someone is part of the beauty of it and the joy, you know, opening your heart up to someone, your poor fractured little heart, you know, getting those cracks open. We've all done it. Um, But, yeah, it's like, I don't know, bungee jumping, isn't it? Like you'll either come back up and it'll be all right or the rope will break and you'll be smushed at the bottom of the cliff. (laughs) Oh, what a horrible (laughs) thing. Do you know what? It's true. (laughs) Have Have you had therapy to get to this point? Um, look, I did, after my last relationship breakup, which was incredibly traumatic on a number of levels, I done a few retreats down at Quest for Life, which I urge everyone to do. It's the most brilliant five days that you'll ever do. And that's about learning to nourish yourself. And it's about resilience. Um, and, you know, you also do things like meditation and yoga, but it's, it's just about healing yourself basically and that's why it's the, the program is called Healing Your Life. But I find the whole paying someone to listen to you kind of weird, you know, because they're going to go poor you and you're a good person. I would really rather go and have a glass of wine with a girlfriend and, you know, sob or, or laugh or, or whatever. But I, I you know, I, I know the talking cure is, is great for a lot of people, but I just feel weird. Yeah, I've when I've had therapy, I'm like, I'm paying you, I want you to tell me what to do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I want you to tell me what's right. And they never do. They're like, how does that make yeah, you, feel? you feel? I know yeah. how I feel. Tell me what I'm supposed to do about yeah. it. And they never do. Yeah, it made, just made me feel weird. The fear of being alone causes a lot of people to make bad decisions and to settle and to end up in very unhappy relationships. And I think what you and I both have is a very healthy view of being alone. I have no fear of being alone. I'm very happy to do a lot of things on my own, except for go to the movies, which we'll get to. But um, why do you think that is? And, And did you ever have that fear of being alone? My marriage broke up when I was in my mid 30s. And that's when you're like, oh, I really want to have a baby. I'm going to have a baby while I'm having a baby. So I went through some anguish in my late 30s and got into some other poor relationships because, oh my goodness, the biological clock started ticking. I won't lie. I did it too. I Hell mean, I had yeah. a few chapters in the book where I had three relationships in a row that were, yeah, not appropriate. But really, I look back now, it was because I just wanted a baby and yeah. I was looking for a baby daddy. And look, I wasn't raised to breed. Like, my mother couldn't care less that I don't have kids. She never cared whether I got married or not. In fact, she actively discouraged me for many years. Um, so it wasn't that I ever had this 
childhood dream of the wedding and the babies and the picket fence. That wasn't me. That wasn't how I was raised. But I think it is something that overtakes your biology between 35 and 39. Like I I really thought about it a lot. Mine was a biological time bomb, not even a clock. It was like a time bomb. Yeah, yeah. So you got divorced, you had the baby thing, and then what happened after that? Well, then I had a long-distance relationship with a guy in America, which, you know, definitely had its points, but at that point I didn't want to really have a long-distance relationship. I wanted to be with someone and live together, so that kind of didn't work out. I started a relationship with someone else who I, I really, truly loved with all my heart, but it became a very possessive, very controlling relationship that was really very dangerous, I suppose. So it took me some time to extricate myself from that. And then I was so really upset by that. I mean, really cried and cried and cried and cried for months, just cried. Natalie Imbruglia's song Torn would come on the radio and I'd just, you know, I'd just fall fall apart. And it still kind of makes me cry even now. This is 20 years later. Um, And then I was single for a while and then I met this guy and we... Uh, we're together for eight years and then that turned into a bit of a disaster. So, yeah. So you've had a couple of pretty traumatic experiences. Has that broken you to the point where you've lost faith in men or love or relationships? Oh, look, I think it has for me. I mean, I think that's, you know, why I'm sitting here going, I'm done and why I'm saying it would, I would have to meet someone absolutely extraordinary for me to get past this. And I, I look around at the many men that I meet all the time, you know, not on dating sites or anything, just, you know, I, I meet a lot of men through work or what have you. And, and in the last five years, not one of them has overwhelmed me with his fabulousness, shall we say. So have you chosen celibacy? Um, I suppose I have because to me, sex and love go hand in hand and... I'm, I'm kind of never been a big sex without love person. So you're saying you're done with relationships or dating. Are you done with sex? Are you happy to live the rest of your life and never have sex again? And no, I, if that's much. too personal, tell me to shut up. And no, can... pretty much. What about intimacy? Because I think there's a, there's a real difference between the physical act of sex and intimacy and you just sort of alluded to the fact that you kind of need both. I can imagine a life you know, without sex, because I go through long periods without sex when I'm not dating. But what I really crave is that intimacy that you can only get from someone that you're very, very close to. It's, you know, just holding hands or, you know, when he kisses your neck or you're just walking down the street under his arm. That yeah. kind of intimacy, I that's what I would miss, I think, if I'd made the choice that you've made. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. But that intimacy... That physical intimacy comes from emotional intimacy. So if if the relationship doesn't have that emotional intimacy, then, you know, the, the physical intimacy isn't there either. And I've certainly, you know, spent long stretches of my, my two longest relationships not feeling physically or emotionally intimate, feeling, again, quite the reverse. So have you ever considered women? No, I think I... No. I had someone um, say to me recently that, who knows me very well and had spoken to a friend and said, oh, so is Sammy a lesbian or a man-hater? Because she's got to be one or the other. And oh, I was just like, what? 
Like, seriously. And he was like, no, she's not gay. She loves men. And no, she's not a man-hater. She's just had some bad experiences. But it's funny how someone who doesn't know me from a bar of soap maybe just sees a headline that I'm single at 48 and assumes that I must be a lesbian or a man-hater. Isn't that ridiculous? I think that's a very narrow view of the world. My goodness. I mean... If a man is single at 48, you wouldn't think he was gay or a woman hater. You just think, oh, look at that single dude. It's funny how other people perceive, if you're single at a certain age, that you must be this sad, lonely, miserable person. And I've talked about this a lot and written articles about it. And I think society and popular culture are to blame for this, the way that it's been perceived that if you are single, then you must be sad and lonely. And Hollywood has kind of stigmatised that a bit. Like if you're that person going to the movies on your own or you're sitting alone in a restaurant or you are the single person at a wedding, people kind of pity you or feel sorry for you in a way. How do you respond to that? I mean, it predates Hollywood. I mean, you've only got to look at the words bachelor and spinster, you know, the gay bachelor out having a great time and the spinster sitting at home spinning. So, I mean, it goes back to way before Victorian times. And I think there's just a perception that, it, you know, a, a, being in a relationship is, is a natural thing for a woman because she wants to nest and tend and nurture and nourish and if she doesn't have that. But I think also, I mean, obviously historically it was very difficult for a woman if you weren't in a relationship because you quite often didn't have any money. I mean, you were living with your aged parents or, you know, you were a governess. So, you know, the, not that we still don't have a long way to go, but, I mean, the enormous strides that women have made over the last 30 or 40 years in, in economic equality mean that you are absolutely empowered to be alone now and you can have just as good a time being alone, in fact, probably better than being in a relationship because women now can book a trip with Sammy Lucas to New York. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Good plug. You should come. You'd have a good time. <laughs> Tell me about this opera for one, because I know you mentioned that to me on the phone when we spoke and that yeah. really resonated with you. Yeah, so I think it's a lovely story, but it kind of made me a little bit sad as well. Um, it was a, a story in, in the in the paper yesterday and, and Opera Australia have um, recognised that there are a lot of single people who would like to go to the opera and don't for some reason. Either their friends can't bear the opera or, you know, some of them used to go to the opera with their partner um, and so they've started up this thing. It's, they keep saying it's not like Tinder opera or anything like that. It's merely hooking you up with other single people who want to go to the opera so you can meet at interval and have a chat or be sat next to them or what have you. So it's a lovely idea. But one lady that they, they interviewed um, said that she used to go to the opera for 40 years with her husband and then he died. And after he died, she went to the opera by herself and, and she found it really traumatic and she said, I can never do this again. She was so, her bereavement really cut through to her and she felt so alone there and terrible. And I thought, it's wonderful that they've done this opera for one thing, but I just, I don't know, I suppose it just seems such a sad thing that you can't enjoy something that gave you real joy on your own. And I encourage everyone to find things that they like doing on their own and go to the movies on their own and to be able to, before, and actually I, I had never holidayed on my own. I'd always done it, uh, gone with a friend or, or a, usually a, a partner. And I always kind of thought, you know, it is a bit if a tree falls in the forest and no one sees it, did it really happen? So if you go on holidays and you don't have someone to share it with, is, is that 
a less valid experience because there's not someone helping you process it or, you know, or even helping you, you know, find the way out of the tube station. But um, I took myself off to Cuba a couple of years ago and um, just loved it and loved the experience of being on my own and actually found it more like being in the present and really absorbing it because you're just absorbing it through your prism. Do you know what I mean? You're not thinking what does the other person think or what's their opinion or more importantly, you can go to the restaurant that you want to go to or you can do what you want to that day, however you feel, because you're not adjusting for someone else's agenda or, you know, mood swings or what have you. And I found it very, again, very empowering to wake up in the morning and think, what am I going to do today? Me, Mm -hmm. little old me. I love that you can embrace that and find the joy in doing it on your own. I still think I like to be able to share that kind of experience with someone often. And it's like, I, I've never been to the movies on my own unless I'm going for work. If I've, you know, at the moment I've got to see a lot of movies because I've got an Academy Awards lunch coming up and if I know I'm going and it's for work and I'm watching a movie for work, I'll do it. But if I'm just going for pure enjoyment and recreation, I've never been on my own. And it's weird because you're just sitting in a dark theatre. You don't talk throughout the movie so what is it about just knowing there's a body sitting next to me that I find so comforting? I don't know because I love going to the movies on my own. I go to the theatre on my own. I don't know. It's a di- Yeah, it's a different... It, it, I don't it, have an answer for it either. It's no, just too mindset, isn't it? It is convention. I like going to the movies with people as well. Um, I'm not a complete freak. But again, I guess it's just I... I don't know, maybe I don't think of myself as a people pleaser because I think that's a really pathetic thing to say about yourself. But And also complete freak. You're not you're not a you're not a freak for doing <laughs> something on your on own. own. Yeah. No, exactly. That's the thing. But that's it's kind of like what does it go back to school days? You didn't want to be that kid sitting in the playground eating your lunch, lunch on, on your, your own. Because yeah. you were the loser, you were the freak. Is that where that whole loneliness thing comes from and not wanting to dine alone, not wanting to go to the movies alone. I think it's feeling conspicuous. You know, people don't notice people in couples or groups, but people do notice someone who's alone in a scenario or an environment where you expect people to be coupled up or in groups. So, again, I mean, you know, in New York, you'll sit at the bar and have a drink and have a snack and you can sit at the bar on your own and that's kind of fine because you'll probably end up chatting to someone next to you or what have you. Whereas the act of walking in and sitting at a table on your own and there's another chair that is you know, you feel kind of weird. It's so true because I do that in New York. Yeah. I go and sit at my own, on my own and eat regularly on my own when I'm there working, but I would never think to do it in Sydney. But, you know, there's a restaurant in Amsterdam that only has tables for one. They actually encourage it. Right. And I love that idea because yeah. you can go and you sit at a table, you're not sitting up at a bar, everyone's sitting at a table for one. Yeah. So you are not conspicuous. No, exactly. And I think there is something about, again, if you're eating by yourself in a restaurant, then you are noticing the act of eating and what you're eating and you're more in the moment. You're not sidetracked by, I guess, what the other person's eating or, you know, you wish you'd ordered their meal or what have you. It's you and your meal. And I say it's a kind of, you know, it's a form of mindfulness without sitting in a room and and meditating. It is, but also I think, because when I'm I'm processing it as we're speaking and I'm very happy to be alone at home and 
I don't need to have a partner, but I am fearful of going to the movies alone or sitting in a restaurant in Sydney on my own. And I guess what that comes down to is not how I feel, but how I worry about what other people think of me. Yeah. Are people looking at me and going, look at that poor, sad, lonely girl on her own and pitying me? Or if I knew everyone was looking at me going, oh, isn't she brave? Good on her. Yeah. on her own. I'd probably be okay with it. But knowing that a lot of people would be pitying me probably turns me off the idea. Can I tell you a story? And it's kind of involved and it's a bit literary. But um, one of my favourite books um, is by Nancy Mitford and it's The Pursuit of Love and Love in a Cold Climate. And I don't know how much you know about the Mitford girls, but they're a famous family of five or six daughters. Unity Mitford had a crush on Hitler and... Um, oh, my God, yes, what was wrong with that? They're the most amazing English family. Their father was a lord. Anyway, Diana Mitford was a famous, famous beauty and she married... Uh, the son of the one of the sons of the Guinness family, so very very wealthy family, and their wedding was like what Kate and Will's would have been. Do you know what I mean? An absolute society sensation, and of course they were brought up by an English nanny, <laughs> who famously said to Diana Mitford on her wedding day, "No one will be looking at you, dear." <laughs> and that's what I always yeah. think. Nobody yeah. will be looking at you, dear. They're all thinking about themselves. They're not looking at you. <laughs> true. True. I think I blame one phrase for this, one is the loneliest number. Like that really has fucked up singledom for a lot of people, hasn't it? Because it's not. One is not the always number. the loneliest number at all and you're living proof of that. Two or three can be just as lonely and I think vast generalisation. You see women my age who are attractive and intelligent and have a great friends group but, you know, they're yearning for love the way you do, you know, it's like that. Oh, Janice Ian's song at 17, you know, here I am alone and I'm covered in acne and, you know, it feels like you've got to evolve from that. You can't think because of popular music that one is the loneliest number or that romantic love is the be-all and end-all. Like there are so many other things in life. So I encourage you not to think that, Sammy, because you're enough. No, you're no, enough. I agree with you. Everyone is enough. I agree with you and I love that message. And thank you for sharing and being so open. And I kind of like to finish each chat with, I hope you find what you're looking for, but I kind of feel like you already have. I'm there. I've arrived. <laughs> Thanks, Sammy. <laughs> Romantically Challenged was presented by me, Sammy Lucas, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Sound production was by Matt Nikolic and the executive producer is Jenny Goggin. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au, download the Podcast One app or look me up on iTunes.